Welcome to Karate in the Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Steve McManus. It is episode two of April Fooled. Fooled. Um, Here's a movie that fooled everyone. <laughs> well, it fooled the Academy and given somebody an Oscar for a script that really isn't that good. Wow. Uh, I don't, is it the script? Well, let's, let's keep, let's hold on. What are we talking about? <laughs> I mean, I can't wait to pounce on this thing, dude. Oh, they know. Everybody knows what it is. Right. Well, they're looking at it. They should know. Leia, it's 1985 is the usual suspects. There is so much in this movie that if this script went through hands today, went through development executive hands today, this movie would be so different. They wouldn't be able to use the words like retard. They wouldn't. Uh, I mean, there's so pretzel much man. About, pretzel man is my favorite. Pre, it's just <laughs> what's so, your story, pretzel man? So bad. Oh, here's the thing: Christopher McQuarrie is the screen credited screenwriter for this, and we've talked about him. This isn't the first movie he's written. We we covered. We've covered well to lesser extent the Mummy most recently, but Edge of Tomorrow, which we both like, love the shit out of. Jack Reacher, I like a lot. Which he also directed. Yeah, I mean, look, dude, what year of the gun, all that stuff, way of the gun. Way of the, way gun. Of the gun. Yeah, yeah. Year, of the, year of the gun is better than this movie, too. <laughs> it, is. it is. I mean, really, it's <laughs> fucking, it's, it's Frankenheimer with Andrew McCarthy and Sharon Stone, and it kicks this movie's ass. Here's the thing it's not the writing so much that bothers me. It's, no. It's, it, this, this movie suffers heavily from the post pulp fiction syndrome. Yeah where everything everybody was trying to be extra I, but I don't know man there's some stuff in this movie that's just so bad I don't even like I don't even know how to like talk about it there there are things in this movie that that are good that are, that work well yeah there's some things in it that work for sure but it's an hour and 50 minute movie and then as soon as you kind of go oh that was a oh boo you're you're reminded so often once you have those nice moments that it's not good I, I mean we talked about the cast briefly you know, we're just texting. Yeah, let's talk about the cast. Yeah, let's other talk about than the cast. Outside of. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that guy. <laughs> so let's start after that. We got, we look, they're all people I kind of, I love Gabriel Byrne, dude. And I oh, think Gabriel yes. Byrne is good in this movie. Yes. It's just the movie. <laughs> right. Stephen Baldwin also is in this. Uh, Benicio Del Toro. Right. This is Baldwin's best performance. Yeah, Benicio del Toro. Yeah, who I I love the I love his take on his character. It's just the the it's a it's fun to watch the movie though when in his moments to have the subtitles on the close captioning on so you can go oh that's what you said because <laughs> you know he just goes for that whole thing of mumbling which is part of the thing about the movie people don't always understand what he's saying when he's talking about getting his asshole fingered. <laughs> sure. I mean, dude, let me just okay, let's get the I'm rest of the cast, back. and then I'm, okay. I have. <laughs> okay, uh, Kevin Pollock, who can do drama, okay, I liked him just fine, and Ricochet playing playing Denzel hey. sidekick. Dude, Kevin Pollock kicks ass in Few Good Men. Yeah, he's enjoyable. He just isn't. He doesn't fit this. Just like Stephen Baldwin doesn't fit this. And we got one more. Chaz Palminteri. <laughs> No, I mean that's that. That really is the rundown of the guys on the cover of the DVD, which is everybody sure. there getting their uh, and their lineup at the very beginning of the movie. By the way, I've seen this enough times. The fucking script is so convoluted, dude. It's so dumb. When you get to the end of the movie, you're more relieved that it's over. <laughs> yeah, man. Like I couldn't wait. Like, and here's the thing: I don't feel like that end is earned. That's what pisses me off. The no, most of it. I saw this movie one time, and I saw it before it was released. I went to a screening with uh, 
a casting director friend of mine at the time, literally, I thought I was a test audience because like the end, everyone was all, "Uh," and she's like, what do you think? And I was like, um, (laughs) that's the movie. Do I have to fill out a card? Because I fucking hated it. And she was like, what do you mean you hate it? I'm like, I hated it. That was fucking terrible. Yeah. And then I've never seen it again until today. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean I'm, if I'm, I'm just saying, I, I was never one of those fucking idiots that ran around with a shirt that said, who is Kaiser Soze? Because I didn't care. Right. Yeah, I don't know, man. This movie just never did it for me. And, you know, I know that people are going to be like, oh, you're full of shit, dude. You don't, I, like, I didn't see the end coming, but that doesn't mean it's good or it's earned or anything else. Or, no. you know, I'm not saying, oh, I knew it for, like, you know, 10 minutes into the movie. I just never liked this movie. It was, these movies were a dime a dozen after Pulp Fiction, and this was another one that wasn't very good. <laughs> yes. But I, I don't want to say the script is good because it's not. The dialogue is so fucking stupid. When they're, at, <laughs> when, when they're at the shipping yard at the end, when they ask McManus, are you ready? And, and he goes, I, w- I would be if I didn't have to stop to, tell, to answer your question. Am I going... Can't you just say I'm ready? You fuck. It's so stupid. It's just. It's, it's there's so much tough guy banter. Like oh. right from the beginning, dude. Like yeah. literally from the moment that they walk in and they're standing there in, and we're and we're we're getting the testimony of verbal Kent and they're asking him about the tell us about the lineup. You know that that whole thing, dude. Like dudes don't act like. I mean, look, yeah, it's it's just super silly, tough guy nonsense. That like, yeah, you know, again, it was it was a style at the time, right? You are between the two of us. I enjoy the the genre, but I don't think anybody that listens to the show was even to argue for a moment that you are the noir guy. Between the two of us, I hate, I hate that this movie is called neo noir, and I know why it's called that. It's all that tough guy bullshit talk, but it just seems so fucking fabricated. It feels so phony. Yeah, man. I know it's supposed to in a way. I guess some people the argument could be like, well, yeah, because the dude's telling the story and he's just this and he knows this this melodramatic way of telling the story is gonna get him walking and walking out the police station. But come on, dude. It's like it's so fucking dumb. And it's like I mean, I should love this movie. I should. Like on paper? On paper, yes. Right? This is like this seems like a slam dunk. But the problem is it's not the idea, it's the execution and who's running the show. That's the problem. I don't think it, it's much of a surprise to say that I'm not a big fan of, I'm just not. There's one or two movies his I enjoy, but I think it's more, attributes more to his, not his cast on screen, but his cast that usually has with him behind the scenes, his editors, his writers, those kinds of things that are, are usually more functional and make things more enjoyable. Like Superman Returns, I think isn't terrible. I know people shit on it, but, and I know you're a fan of Valkyrie. So, and again, that's a McCory reunion. Yeah, dude, I love Valkyrie. And I've never seen it. I mean, one of these days, but I tell you, after watching this, it makes me not want to watch anything from, with that, from that director anymore. Uh, it's the, everybody that's in this actor wise, I've enjoyed much more in other movies and even movies that I don't even like, you know, I, and by the way, you sent me a note about Chaz Palminteri's hair piece. <laughs> okay. You know what it reminded me of when you said that to me and I couldn't place it until you said something. It reminds, it reminds me of Pesci's hair in Goodfellas. <laughs> my, my, 
<laughs> it's the same one. It's the same one. That's how much they were ripping <laughs> off. They were trying so hard to be tough guy. They got the fucking toupee from Goodfellas. Yeah. Out of the movie, out of the, mu- out of the movie Hall of Fame museum. And I said to you, uh, remember I said to you, I, I felt like they're a bunch of people in this that are good in everything they are. They're, you just can yeah. see the performance is going to be there like Dan Hedaya. You know he's going to be great. In Dan Hedaya is great. Esposito, Fucking same Postal thing. weight, great. Yep. Postal Esposito. But, dude, when I saw this in the theater and then I heard him say Kobayashi, I'm like, right away I went, wait. Right, it's 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 a thing. Like it, it just seems so forced. Like eh, there's a guy named Redfoot, and <laughs> like all these like lame tough guy names, and like yeah. you know, it, I don't know. There's just there's a lot of posturing, and I don't know, man. Uh, again, I should love the shit out of this movie, but I don't. <laughs> okay, there's something that happens in the movie that just drives me fucking nuts, and I hate that it happens. Um, when Peter Green, who plays Redfoot, and it shows up, and then he makes a reference to the Gimp and referring to yep. ver- verbal. That's what I'm and saying. I'm like going, it, it was like going, could you point over there? You, you, they thought they were being cute when they were all he did was like, you already got, you already have me annoyed that you're being too much like this. Yeah, man. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It, it really suffers from that, you know, from uh, everybody trying to make their own version of Pulp Fiction. I mean. I, would I like this movie more if I had never seen Pulp Fiction? I don't know, and I can't tell you yes. Um, but but we've had conversations enough to where we both are when it comes to Pulp Fiction is you know we're going to come up on thirty years next year. Is Pulp Fiction still as good as it was, or has Quentin done better that and, and other movies actually hold up? I you know I Inglorious Bastards, Jackie Brown, Jackie Brown's closer to, to the release of this. All right. As far as like Pulp Fiction, uh, oh yeah, 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 dude, so, I give you two, yes. But Jackie Brown's fucking great. It's that movie holds up. Yeah. So I, I, for for me, that's the problem when people are trying to do their own, th- to do this thing, where they're trying to be somebody. Like, we we've already discussed that that Macquarie and have done other things that are better than this movie. So I thought, I think when they stop trying to be something else, look, I know you're trying to get a movie made. And Macquarie wrote with him together on that previous movie. I forget the name of it, but I've never seen it. But Public Access? Me. Public Access, thank you. It's a super cheap movie, right? They were shooting on the cheap, okay? But fuck off. There's no, there weren't better people that you could have put in this movie. It's, and and I, that, that would have fit the role. Again, we, we just said it. We both love Kevin Pollock. We like Stephen Baldwin for the most part in other things. Dude, he had just come off a of biodome. Yeah. I don't, they just doesn't work here. It's like this 180 pivot. I'm like, what are you doing? Weirdly, I, I, what I'd like to see, <laughs> what this movie made me mostly want to see was a spinoff about Keaton. And I wanted to see Keaton when he was a cop and he was dirt. I wanted to see that movie. Right. And, right? You know, let's and be honest. I, I wanted to see a side hustle movie with McManus and Fenster. We saw other versions yeah. of, a, of a Dean Keaton movie we, down the line. Yeah, called Just, Miller's Crossing. Yeah, exactly. Scott B. Morgan is the uncredited Kaiser Zose. He's the one standing in. So you you never make the mistake that it's it, no, that no, it, never. But he does the th- he does the thing. Yeah, he does that. Whole but thing, but what's yeah. interesting though is like even though when Verbal's telling the story, they were smart enough to still have him be left-handed in the story. Yeah. But that was the goof. Is that he was left-handed when in this when again it's this whole thing. They think, they think you're being so cute by saying. Oh, look at him. He's telling the story about this guy who shoots. I mean, he's telling the story that the, that the guy shot, that Kaiser Soze shot Keaton with his left hand, you know, with the gun in his left hand. We've already been 
We've been beat over our head to the point that Verbal can't sure. hold anything. It was just, it was so fucking dumb. Yeah. I mean, it's trying way too hard in every fucking aspect of. And I, one of the things I hated about the movie from the, the day, the first day that I saw it, when you hear his name is Verbal, I'm like going, Verbal, God, are you kidding me? And they call me Verbal because I never shut up. <laughs> yeah, I was just telling you, I was just going to tell you to shut up. And then they do, and then the, and then just because you, that you identify, yes, we 100% recognize that we, what his name is what it is, and you do it the way you do it. It's, it's so insulting to the people that are watching your movie. It's just, fuck, dude. The, like I said, the dialogue throughout the whole thing is just too fucking much, dude. And, and it's the, and the best moments of the movie are when none of the five leads are in <laughs> the five main people in it. I'm cool with the Chaz stuff that when him and Hadea are talking, that you know when yeah, Esposito's like Esposito at the hospital, yeah, it's yeah, just, all this stuff. So much stuff. Like I said, movies aren't void of of good moments. It's just that the overall work is more specifically with this movie. Just it just, I don't know, man. I, I think when movies aren't good, and then they get so much praise, I think it just it just makes it worse. You know, if, if that I don't know if that makes any sense, I, I'm usually like, hey, you know, if you dug it, cool, that's fine, doesn't bother me. But when this movie gets the kind of recognition and it has the quote unquote legacy that it has, like you noted, it's not earned. It wasn't earned in '95 when I saw it. And it sure, the fuck isn't earned in 2023. It's just not there. Yeah, I, I mean, again, this is a movie I feel like is literally just known for the gimmick at the end, like. Which is our, yeah, which is our point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, there you go. I mean, that's the thing. And it's like, it, it doesn't make it any, I don't know. <sighs> I don't know. Like I said, it never worked for me. I, I didn't like it when it came out. I yeah. saw it once, like, and that was it. Didn't need to see it again. I didn't, you know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, man. There's Another thing that's bothersome, too, is like, did play the same fucking character twice in the same year? I mean, the way he's presented in both Seven and this movie, as far as, like, the, the Kaiser Soze moments, I like, it, it might as well have been John Doe. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of similar. I mean... I, I just, I mean, it's it's hard not to make the comparison. Because <laughs> because it's so... I don't know, dude. This movie premiered at Sundance in 95. So by the time it got its major release, it was in August. Did they cut it did they change something is this i i don't I, i'm asking a question because i don't know i'm just curious is this the same exact movie that was that played at sundance in january that that got released in august uh, no idea man because i'd be curious to know because it just when they're doing the soze moment and he points his gun down at keaton while he's on the deck right and he shoots him to me that is so much like the moment in seven Pits down in the rain with the gun in the back of his ear. I mean, that moment is so similar. It's just, I mean, it, it, it almost, and I'm not honestly down to the camera angle, but it's very similar to the point where like, I'm, it, it feels somebody borrowed from somebody. And let's be honest here. <laughs> yeah. What's weird about this movie is there's, there's so, it's so full of, they just threw every idea they had into one, you know what I mean? And they shot right. everything. And, it's just there's so much posturing and so much like just feels bloated and like like it just doesn't I don't know I mean it, like I said 45 minutes in I was like 
it's only been 45 minutes. It seems like I've been watching it for two hours. And nothing had really happened at that point. I think it was in the middle of, because I paused it there to go outside and get the mail. <laughs> but it was right in the middle of one of Chaz Palminteri's rants. Right. <laughs> and it had only been like 44 minutes and 30 seconds or something crazy like that. And I was like, good Lord, man. How long is this? I got another hour of this? Yeah. We talked about that. Like every movie manipulates. Yeah. You know, that's the whole point of a movie is they want you to feel something, whether it's a comedy or whether it's a drama or this kind of movie, especially movies that we're covering this month, that obvious manipulation, that that twist. So uh, apparently during when they were working in post, they finished cutting the movie two weeks early. One day woke up and said, hey, you know what? I, I get this idea for a sequence. That's going to really show that that Keaton is Sozy. Because apparently it, it, things weren't working the way they want them to work. And even Ottman had cut a, a, a series of montage footage together like we see at the end. But it wasn't until they put the voiceover in the end that, that made it work. That's what they're saying. To me, it's one of those moments in the movie where I'm like, fuck you. Spoon fed me and you're going to explain the ending to me? Like I can't fucking figure it out? That's what I mean. It's It's insulting. Even the casual moviegoers, like going, can't help. I mean, I have to think you can't help but be annoyed by that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I just felt like the whole movie it was like, you know, I don't know. Yes, I, I, I totally see your point. It's like, why am I? I'm not an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I would have liked it better without the voiceover. I don't know. At the end, I just feel like I'm getting hit from three different directions. Like, hey, right. dummy, check it out. This is what's go really going on. Right. How did you not know? You're fooled. You're as dumb as Chaz Palminteri. Yeah. You're as dumb as Dave Kuyan. The four movies we're covering this month, I don't think it's much of a stretch to say that this is the one that's, that would be deemed, I don't want to say overrated, but. I mean, for it, me, it is. Like, I, I, I'll say it. I was trying to go a different word than that. But yeah, I mean, for, at the basic level, it is overrated. When we talked about Sixth Sense, when you have that same moment, right, in Sixth Sense, and they're just kind of like when Cole's voiceover is there as Malcolm is figuring out that, oh, my God, I'm really dead. I didn't survive that gunshot. It works. You know what I mean? Because Cole is Well, it's because you care about the characters. Right. I think that's what the difference is. Right. Well, and it's You don't really care about any of these guys. No, you don't, because, again, as much as you like the people in the movie, the ones that, I don't know, it's just jarring with some of the other performers just don't, they were miscast. They just it's, not, well, it's not even the actors. It's it's the characters themselves. Like, I, I don't really find myself, in it. it's not because McManus or, you know, whoever's playing them. It's just the characters themselves are yes. kind of uninteresting and kind of like, uh, I don't know, I just don't really... Wouldn't you agree that at that time when everybody was trying to make their own res dogs before that and became, I want to do our own, everybody was trying to make Pulp Fiction efforts like you noted. Yeah. But they all suffered from the same thing. The ones that work don't suffer from this, but the majority of them do. The reason why there's so many characters in this that you don't like is because they all sound the same. Yeah, dude, like they're all written. I mean, obviously, Del Toro's performance, I remember kind of, to me, I was like, because I hadn't really seen him in much. Right. And it was the one thing that kind of stuck out for me in the movie that was kind of fun. I'm like, what the fuck did he just say? Right. But then watching it today, like, fuck, I don't know, almost 30 years later, it wasn't as big and bold as I remember it being. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's because, was, I mean, for me anyway, I, I'm, I'm in agreement. Because we've seen him do so many fucking things. Oh, way of the gun. I mean, fucking. Well, Sicario. 
we've seen him do other things that are like characters to what he's supposed yeah. to be in this movie. Right. And what's the difference? Well, I mean, time and experience as a performer, but it's it's the character, the way it's being written. And I'm not, again, I'm, I know it sounds like I'm taking shots at McCory again. I'm not. I mean, I understand why the characters are written a certain way. But again, it feels like two creatives working on a project that really isn't their forte. And, but they're doing it because everybody else is doing it. And if we do it the right way, someone's going to give us money to make a movie and then we're off. Now, granted, they'd already done one movie, but I, again, I couldn't even remember it. And I just looked it up before we started recording. But the things that they worked on after this are better movies. And they're not just the experiences, but it fit more in the wheelhouse of what of the kind of storytelling that they do. I just, I think they were out of sorts. I think they were just a, a Tarantino knockoff that got lucky. Yeah. I feel like it was kind of the thing, right? If you're coming out of the indie, I mean, I can't blame anybody and I'm not going to blame anybody. I, I'm just going to say it, it suffers from the aftermath of Pulp Fiction. Cause everybody was like, Oh, Hey, look, that's, that's what we got to do. You know, I, well, I don't know what the budget on this movie. I'm guessing it was under ten million dollars. Usual suspects, I would imagine, uh, and it really does suffer from that. I mean, dude, there's like ten other movies I could throw out right now, but I'm not going to do it. Like that are all kind of similar to this. I think we we were doing it. I mean, I feel like there's a there's a whole slew of movies from 1995 to 1997, which all kind of suffer from the same thing. This yeah. one, this one just. You know, it had that ending, and it and it had a sort of. I don't know that I would. I mean, I wouldn't call this. A, was this an A list cast in the, at this point in nineteen ninety five? As far as like the uh, if people were paying attention to independent movies, sure. Yeah, for indie films, it was yeah. absolutely. And this was just yeah. an indie film that caught fire, as they say. Yeah. The the weird thing about this movie, the things that are the things that it does well. I'm gonna I'm gonna just try to concentrate on that for just a minute. Right. <laughs> Newton Thomas Siegel's cinematography is yep. good. Yep. The, the one thing I hate in this, the one sequence I just don't understand why they did it this way because it, it's a total, it kind of fucking pulled me out of the movie and watching it today, I'm, I've thought, maybe this is why I didn't like it before. It's when they're explaining Kaiser Soze and the Hungarians and they're flashing back to his wife and kids. I mean, the way it's shot is I don't like it, and it kind of, I, I don't know, it, it doesn't look like the rest of the movie. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That sequence where he comes in and he shoots his shoots a couple of Hungarians in and he shoots his family. And, right. But it's just, it's kind of shot. It looks like a bad music video. Right. Yeah, it's right. weird. But but it, but it was like, it's a choice because they're trying to like say, oh. Right. It's bigger than life. It's supposed to feel like it's supposed to feel like a legend or anything. I mean, so I, dumb. I, I just a, it's just a it's a bad choice. It's a bad choice. But the movie is shot beautifully. Yep, I agree. The design of the movie, the location. I mean, the the sets and stuff look they look okay. Um, you know, that's Howard Cummings, and he's a top flight designer. And then I gotta say, I kind of like the way they're all styled. The individual characters, like I kind of dig well, the way that they're styled. You I know, have one Fenster, exception. Are you, are, we, are you talking about McManus? No, my exception is basically that they made Verbal be squiggy. Oh, oh well, dude, I was going to say he looks, <laughs> yeah, he is like, he is very squiggy. Like he look, or he looks like one of the detectives from Barney Miller. I'm not sure which. Is that Wojohowitz? <laughs> well, maybe. Oh, uh, I mean, if you look at David Lander, if they, if David Lander would have been around to spoof, 
Kaiser Sose or you know in this movie I mean I mean that was just right for goofing on well I mean his character looks like a I mean yes he he looks like a caricature right and his performance is like a character of a, of a real performance and right. he's dressed like a schlub and it just doesn't when it ends when he walks out he opens the door and he walks out and he goes fucking cops and it's just the obviously it's the tone that he says it like you pieces of shit when he really is meaning you guys, you fucking cops are so predictable that I knew I was going to say the story. You're going to want to walk right out the door. It's just, I could tell what it was going on there. I was like, yeah, I mean, one of the other things that bother me too, if you threw out verbal story are the little Easter eggs of him basically telling the audience that I'm this guy. I'm reading the bulletin board. <laughs> yeah. When I worked in Guatemala picking coffee beans, I mean, that was the dude that for me, that, that was the part where I think I wanted to throw up. When they're at the dock, what language is he speaking? I don't know. Russian. And he goes, and then he goes Hungarian with all his confidence in the world. I'm like, how the fuck would he know? We know why he knows, but it's just like, it's so, again, it's insulting. Dude. It's like, don't spoon feed me, dude. It's so dumb. And it's like, right. No, I, what I was going to say, am I wrong? Or does the movie start? The first thing you see is Gabriel Burns pissed on. Yes. Weird way to start your movie, but hey, yeah. whatever. I want to go back to another comparable where you, were, as far as like the kind of movies are being made, Two Days in a Valley is. Yep, I love. I love the movie. It never tries to be cute. It's the only movie that kind of says, "All right, I'm going to do this kind of thing over here, but I'm going to make it my own." What a fucking that cast shreds, and it never feels. It feels like it came from an, that era, of course, because it came out in 96. It feels like that, but it never feels manipulative. You know what I mean? It's like, and there's no big twist in the movie or anything like that. But No, it, there's and there's a certain detachment. That, that that movie has kind of a cool sort of detachment to this movie, does, which this movie doesn't have. Like, right. And I mean, I guess it's apples to oranges, but I know exactly what you're saying. Like, I just I just want to point out that yeah. that window of time of movies that were trying to do something and and, and were successful and pulled off the story they're trying to tell. Granted, the movie didn't do well, but I know people. I don't. I've never talked to a lot of people that have seen Two Days in a Valley that had didn't enjoy it. But you know, well, you bring up usual suspects and people aren't as high on it as they used to be. It's I don't know. I mean, it's just one of those movies. I was never. I just was never. You know, it was never my cup of tea. Obviously, like I like I literally thought I was seeing a test screening. I thought they were going to ask me to fill out a note card. <laughs> oh, did I have to fill out notes? Because here's a bunch of stuff. And I would again like watching it today. And I always thought huh, maybe, it's, but it's not the performances. I mean, it's they're doing the best they can with, with what, what what's going have. on. Right, dude. My favorite part of the whole movie might be Stephen Baldwin singing "Old MacDonald" <laughs> as he's, you know, as he's sighting in the Hungarians on the dock, right? <laughs> and we're just hearing it. I, I I get why you'd. I just I don't know any. I I just felt like this some of the dialogue for these guys that are so yes. that are so emphatic about being these professionals at the yard that they would waste any time saying stupid shit like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it's smart, but I wanted to say it was kind of something that made me laugh, and I was like, okay. Because it's out of place. Yeah, well, again, it's very much something that, like, somebody said, hey, you know, they would do this, like, in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> right. This, in that point, I want to point that out. 
the moments you're talking about is after he's busting Verbal's balls for asking him questions while we're trying to get set up. Right. And I'm like, if you're if you're so you know strong for time and you're trying to keep things on a clock and be ready and focused and professional, what the fuck are you? It goes so against what the thing he just said. Again, that's when I I know like you just you noted it. it's somebody going right. This is what well, Quentin. This is what Quentin would have said. Sure. Like, you know, here's the thing. It's a movie that, I don't know, it just never did it for me. Like, if I had to pick another movie from the post-pulp fiction, I would say I did enjoy I would pick Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead over this. Yeah, I'd love Denver. Yeah. It's not like the plots are similar or anything, but it's from the same family. And I like the actors in it. I don't, it, it's just the, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. There's a, just a lot of it doesn't work for me. Right, right. And I'm trying to be nice and not just be like a fucking raving lunatic. No, right and now. I'm like I said, there are things to note about the movie, but when with us talking about uh, April Fool, that isn't just the twist. It's like I don't my suspension of disbelief, even a neo noir thriller or whatever you want to categorize this officially. I'm, I'm I'm at a movie theater. I'm not watching a documentary, so my suspension of disbelief is supposed to be there, whether it's the deep end of the pool or the shallow end of the pool. I'm being asked to, to do a certain thing. And when you start introducing elements of the movie where I'm kind of like, what the fuck is going on? Even though I know how this movie ends, even though I know this, I've seen this movie five, six, seven times, whatever the number is, I'm still confused by this, the plot. I'm still confused by the story. I'm still like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know ultimately it's this. I know, I understand that he's, he's really the guy. And then he's just been telling a fairy tale to get the fuck out of, you know, out of custody. Right, like I, like I feel like I never really am clear what the job is after the hey right. let's rob let's rob the New York Taxi Service and then, blah, 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 blah. we've got some emeralds that we have to fence and we're gonna run off to California and wait while we're there we're gonna do you know I, they just seem to take the long way there it's like that Super Tramp song the long way home that's that's <laughs> the way they went although that song's only three minutes and thirty five seconds long and this isn't. Well, like when Susie Amos is, they say Susie's dead. I'm like, but Verbal's been in custody the whole time. Well, yeah. Okay, well, well, then who killed her? Kobayashi killed her, and, and but they went to Pittsburgh. They went to Pittsburgh to kill her. Like they said, she's they found her in a hotel room in Pennsylvania in Pittsburgh. or Pittsburgh, in Pennsylvania, or something. right? So, so okay. What was she doing in Pennsylvania? We just saw her. Right, in LA. we know she's in New York and or she was just New in York, LA. LA. Right. So I, that's another thing. But too, but that's what's kind of so convoluted about the story. They're in New York. They're here. I mean, other outside Los Angeles to San Pedro, and then the moments in New York, I'm like, okay, what the fuck does Pennsylvania have to do with anything? I, I it doesn't make any sense. I, I don't know if and again, she's a lawyer, right? Uh, there's no explanation. Maybe she's from Pennsylvania, and then maybe she's visiting. But we just saw her, right? <laughs> and we know that she's in Los Angeles because of the guy um, Arturo Marquez, who's who is the target. Of Kaiser Sose. He's like, he's the guy that, who's the, there's no drugs in the boat. There's no money in the boat. It's, it's, this is the target. This is why he hired all these guys because they're, they're a bunch of thieves and they, I can, they can die and bury them and nobody else. Yeah, they're expendable. Right. And all he was doing was trying to kill this dude. And that dude is somebody that, that Edie was working with in Los Angeles. <laughs> right. We just saw them together in the room. So, again, 
the the timeline is so skewed. And again, I'm sure people are going to argue that are that are pro usual suspects. Oh, it's big, it's just to cause confusion with the police. I'm like, well, then he still wouldn't. Have, I know that he's already been given immunity, but it's not immunity across the board. If they prove he's the guy that did all this other shit, he's only getting immunity for other things, not for that. Because hey man, you know what this movie is? This movie's a spook story, dude. Spook story. Told to scare children. Just like Kaiser Soze. <laughs> That's what it is. It's 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 told to confuse people. <laughs> you you sit down, you watch it, and you're confused, and you think you dig it, and maybe you do, maybe you don't. You don't know, but you're so glad that it's over and that you don't ever have to sit through it again. <laughs> Asian Kuyan's character, Chad, the character, Chaz Palmentier's character, he has this arrogance about him. Like, I'm going to get you, Verbal. I'm, I know you know more than what you're letting on. Blah, blah, blah. But it's so heavy-handed. I, I know, but that. But what I'm saying is, Kuyan, to me, his attitude is like Corey's attitude. Like, we're going to fool you. We're going to fool you with this movie. And it's like, well, no, you fool me because it's fucking confusing. Here it is <laughs> 28 years later, and I still don't know what the fuck is going on, and I've seen it before. When every time they say Kuyan, all I can think of is Dave Coulier from Full House. Right. Okay. They, and they're both Dave. Do you think, you think they named Dave Kuyan? Do you think they wrote it and like, they're like, hey, Dave Coulier? Do you think they just changed it to Kuyan? I don't know. Like right at the beginning when we started swinging the stick at, at this pinata, the names in this movie, dude, come on, man. It's just. Hey, why do they call you Verbal? His name is Kent. Verbal Kent. It's like. Why don't you just say Clark Kent and that he's really Superman? You know what I mean? It's so oh, fucking yeah, yeah, yeah. stupid. Uh. Keaton. <laughs> hey, Keaton. <laughs> Keaton. Uh, yeah, and that's another one, too. Keaton. McManus. Yeah, so, oh, where are you? McManus. Yeah. These guys wouldn't be so nice to each other. I mean, obviously, apparently, again, based on verbal story, McManus and Finster work together. Right, and McManus and Hockney don't like each other. Yeah. it's just, And Keaton probably doesn't like anybody, apparently, right? We have to be told that, though, because, it, yeah, I, you know, I guess the story doesn't work if you just fucking let us figure it out. We have to be told everything. That, that's my problem with the movie, I think, is my biggest problem, is I'm just sitting there being told everything, and it's kind of boring, well, you know? Yeah. Yeah. At the, at the end of the day, that was my, I, I want to say that was my biggest problem in 1995. And it was my biggest problem today. It's just like, it's movie. Show me, don't tell me. Right. But I got, well, I, there's a, there's an awful lot of exposition, exposition, exposition. Like the movie they shot, it didn't work. And then they had to go back and shoot all the, I don't know, man. All right. We'll start wrapping it up. And I'm going to point out something we just talked about. You show me, don't tell me. And the voiceover moment that I told you about, we just, we're, we're, Figured, oh, you know what? I've got this problem. This movie, the movie wasn't working. And I can't believe for one second, one of the things that bothers me most about the movie is something that he felt like added and helped the story when it really does the opposite. I'm going to ask you a question. When it comes to Blade Runner, voiceover or no voiceover? I like the voiceover in Blade Runner. Right. But that's my point. <laughs> it's like you don't just put the. It, it but works. you use it the way that they use it in 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 the war films from like the forties and fifties. Right, that's how you use it. This is right. like not even noirish. This is, I don't know, man. Like all the voiceover in Blade Runner is omnipresent. Right, right. 
and we're not watching two guys talk and tell us the you know explaining the movie to us. That would be like that would be like if you and I went to a sixth grade class and we recited all the lines from Hamlet sitting in front of them. They'd be bored out of their minds. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> I have a pretty good spin on Hamlet. Uh, anyway. Oh I, well, you know what? You know I can do a pretty good woman's voice too. Yeah. Right. Ophelia. Ophelia. Look, Gertrude. Uh, anyway, so I have a feeling out of the four movies that we're covering this month, this is the one we probably have the least love for, and I didn't retain. Yeah, um, I should. I, I didn't lose any any affection for it, and I didn't gain any affection for it either. No, it's still the same movie it was the last time I saw it a few years ago, and um, it's funny because Joey had asked me about it. He's like, "Are, are we going to watch this?" And I'm like, "No." He's like, why? And I go, because I can show you 20 other movies that are supposed to be what this is supposed to be, uh, and, and you'll enjoy them a hell of a lot more. You'll feel like you wasted an hour and 45 minutes of your time. Yeah. Again, it's not. I don't want to say it's a waste of time. Like We know that there are good things about the movie. Um, it's just that in the confines of the theme this month of being fooled, yeah. it isn't just, just, this movie isn't just the twist. It's the whole thing. Where you feel like you know, well, I mean, you know what? Let's look. Let, I mean, let me let me wrap that differently. The twist in this has been carried out through the whole movie, and just like it wasn't Sixth Sense, it was always been there, but it wasn't. There was still another story being told. The twist again is the fucking B story in Sixth Sense. The twist in this is the A story, and I don't think, and it still doesn't work. It's still very confusing. I mean, like you said, I, I what. You look at the 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 taxi robbery at the beginning, or you know, towards the beginning, there's this thing in L.A. It's it's all, I don't know, man. They jump around in a timeline, and then as you noted with the noir story, the voiceover is omnipresent. It's in the moment. It's used yeah. as transitioning from one scene to another. This is you telling me the whole fucking story in VO yeah. form. I'm watching it. I'm watching you tell me. This isn't a radio play. Exactly, man. Come on. <laughs> this isn't fucking some fireside chat, Orson Welles. Here's the thing. Everybody in this movie, everybody involved in it from, again, the people that are in the movie, the, the two people that we talked about already that are getting sound effects plopped in there, they've done better work. Every All the performers and the other performers in the movie have done better work. Editing-wise, cinematography. I mean, you, we were just talking about Newton earlier. Newton's fucking filmography is crazy dense you got comedies all the way up to some big fucking movies and john ottman is a fine editor and he's a he's wildly underappreciated as a composer because again i didn't know he was a composer too i knew him only as a cutter to fit within the confines of the move of our theme this month yeah there's definitely some fooling going on (laughs) someone's been fooled i'm I understand why people like it. I, it just doesn't work for me in the confines right. of like the time when it came out. There were just 10 other movies that I enjoyed way more than this. Another one I'll give you really quick before we go is Steven Soderbergh's The Underneath with Peter Gallagher, I, which came out in 95 as well. Yep. And that's another one we've talked about on the show. And, yeah. And it's, and I mentioned this recently when I was talking about managing the video store and I'm going to get the catalog to order movies and stuff and how they basically ruined. Well, not ruined, but revealed who the who John Doe was, who the actor was playing John Doe, on the very back of the catalog for Swimming with Sharks. 
part of that catalog, that specific catalog, was on the underneath. And I remember the the, the Gallagher, the picture of Gallagher very clearly. And in that if I and when I come across that promo shot, I'm always reminded of that movie. And I'm like, I remember getting a couple copies in the store and I could never keep it in the store because I would pl- I'd plug it and they're like, who is this? And what's this movie about? And I go, Steven Soderbergh, man. Sex Lives videotapes are like, oh, okay. It's definitely not one people mention when you mention Soderbergh, and I'm glad you mentioned it because it is. It's a that's a good that's a good one. Yeah, I mean, again, like I said, I, I understand why people like this. I guess. I mean, <laughs> it just it didn't work for me ever. And it's a great point about, about about the underneath is that Soderbergh was very much part of that indie movement. He was yeah. very much part of that sex lies video tape, like I just mentioned. Was this the first thing he did after that? After no 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 he no, did, no I'm uh, talking about the underneath being the first thing he did. After. No, I think he did King of the Hill first. Oh, oh yeah, See, I always forget about King of the Hill too. Shit, Soderbergh's fucking filmography is speaking yeah, of nuts. Sick dude. <laughs> oh my god, dude. Not everything hits, but dude, it's always fun to watch. It, yeah, he's good. When when he said he's gonna retire, I was like, don't you retire, dude? <laughs> Keep going, yeah, I, man. I, I, I want to say he did King of the Hill and maybe Kafka. Fuck, that's After, another one I always forget about, dude. You know, oh like maybe gosh. in between Sex Lies and The Underneath. I feel like he, I feel like The Underneath was like his fourth movie, but it was maybe his first studio movie because I think it was Universal. That's what I think it was. I think it was his first studio movie. I think yeah. it was his first crack at a major, right? With uh, right. Uh, even though it's still, it, it, it's the heart of that. That movie's still an indie movie. It's a, you know, and it's it's true. I don't even know if I. I mean, of course, neo noir because it's newer, but I mean, that, that thing is a straight noir piece of noir. Oh yeah. Even something big like the oceans movies, they still have, even though they're studio movies, they still don't feel like studio movies in this, in the way if somebody else had done the ocean movies, how different they would be like, well, <laughs> we know how different an oceans movie could be when he's not directing. Right. Sure. But you're right. So yeah, the rundown is Sex Lies in '89, Kafka in '91, King of the Hill in '93, and then The Underneath in '95. Yeah, and then we got Out of Sight. I, I feel like he's a filmmaker who you know went did what he wanted to do, and then you know those studio movies, and then he went back to his roots. And I mean, yeah, I, I, look, man, I I enjoy something about all of his movies, up right, right up to like Unsane, which. Wasn't well. It wasn't seen by a lot of people, but I enjoyed it. I mean, I I think there's certainly value. I was thinking about K Street. Do you remember K Street, the uh, series that him and Clooney produced? Yeah, that was. Uh, it's like on Showtime, maybe or HBO. HBO, I think. Yeah, I think it was. I think that sounds that sounds right. Yeah. But I mean, it, that's something I was thinking about. Like, God, I should revisit that, man. I bet I'd love the show. That's the Mary McCormick thing, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Mary McCormick, and um, that was before In Plain Sight, I think, right? Oh, it's right in Slatery, right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, solid cast, too. Oh, yeah, that's good stuff. I don't know. I don't want to turn this into a Soderbergh commercial, but I'm no, just saying. No, I like, know. <laughs> you know, for me, like, I don't know, like, for my movie taste, like, there was The Usual Suspects, which I was like, eh. And then there was, like, like The Underneath, which I really loved. I, You know, it, that movie did it for me and i know a lot of people are like oh that's his worst movie and i'm like ah, well that's that's again films are objective so if some people want to think that that's great like to me i there's other movies that i do enjoy right valkyrie being one of them oddly i think i kind of liked apt pupil i don't remember it i saw it in a theater and i remember because i had read the uh, novella the Stephen the stephen king story but again look man th- this movie to me, I was it, it's April fooled, right? 
in in many in many ways, right. not just the trick ending. Right, the trick ending. Which is it? Really a trick? If you're if they're no. sa- if, if if they're leading you down that road the whole time, you're just like, what's the gimmick? Right. I mean, maybe I didn't know that was going to be, but I felt there was going to be some kind of ta-da moment, and it, there was. The red theme stuff. You're like you don't when you have those moments like we mentioned in Sixth Sense when you have those when he's when they're doing that montage with Cole's voiceover you're like, oh right okay when you're having the voiceover in this you're like shut the fuck up <laughs> it's, it's like oh god just fucking just get on with it <laughs> stupid that's how I felt I was like just get up and walk get out of there yeah. yeah. You're no. 20 minutes ago. Oh, you made bail 20. Then good. Let's get out of here. The, but the fun twists are like, ah, oh, Corey, you dummy. Why didn't you see that coming? I don't feel that way with this. <laughs> no, I just felt like there was something that was going to, you know, something was going to present itself. I just remember thinking, man, why are they talking? There's just too much talk in this movie for an action movie. Too much talk. And they're talking over the action. It, it, I don't know, man. It, All right. Well, if you want to follow the show on social media. It's at Karate Pod on Twitter, Insta, and Letterbox. On Letterbox is Corey underscore Culp and Culprit97 on Insta. If you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at Roll 33 on your Instagram. Or you can just follow me simply at Keaton <laughs> on Letterbox. That's Keaton on Letterbox.com. Uh, no, something else. Or maybe me. Dave Kuyan. <laughs> isn't, he, isn't he on that show Full House? Yes. Uncle Joey. You know, it wasn't you ought to know about him. Uh, that's what I hear. <laughs> I hear he likes to go to movies. Oh, God. <laughs>